Your patient has joined the Peace Corps and will be spending the next two years in Mali. What precautions does she need to take to safeguard her own health? You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today we are discussing travel medicine. In this show, we will be focusing on travel for humanitarian work. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. With me today is Dr. Christy Reed. Dr. Reed is the Traveler's Health Science Officer at the Centers for Disease Control. She is also the Geosentinel Project Director of the Geographic Medicine and Health Promotion Branch within the Division of Global Migration and Quarantine. As one of the editors of the CDC's Medical Guide for Travel Medicine, Yellow Book, she is a nationally recognized expert on travel medicine. Welcome, Dr. Reed. Thank you. We are pleased to have you on the show. What is the Geosentinel Project? Geosentinel is a surveillance system for illness among returning travelers. There are 39 sites around the world that provide anonymous data from travelers who are seen after travel or during travel for illness. It's an important surveillance system for emerging infectious diseases. And do multiple governments participate? This is a cooperative agreement between the Centers for Disease Control and the International Society of Travel Medicine. It isn't replacing any governmental system. It operates in parallel. As I mentioned, this information comes as anonymous, and it's focused on where the person traveled, not where they're actually seen. Well, I want to move uh, directly to our topic for this show, and that's travel for humanitarian work. And one of the first things I'd like to do is give our audience a a little bit of scope of the need for humanitarian work in the world. So what are the latest estimates from year to year about how many refugees there are in the world today? Well, the numbers have increased dramatically. There were 2.5 million in 1975, and that climbed to 25 million in 1995. Yellow Book has a whole chapter on humanitarian aid workers. How has this group of people expanded over the years? Well, it's expanded in a variety of ways. As you mentioned, there are refugee populations, but also for natural disasters. And we've had a few of late, the tsunami in Indonesia, the earthquakes. Uh, As air travel itself expands and the ability to reach distant places easily, the spirit of people who want to assist and help also follows. So yes, the number of people are increasing who travel, and unfortunately it seems the number of disasters needing assistance, either man-made or result of trauma in some other way. So what are some of the groups involved in international humanitarian travel? Are there any names that readily come to mind? Well, the types are Red Cross, the United Nations. There are a variety of independent groups also either affiliated with communities or uh, religious groups. Within the United States, there are small and large groups organized on a national and international basis, and some are organized in a group of people who feel a need to respond and to help. And, of course, many of these are doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals, so sometimes their help can be of some specific use. Exactly. What are the main causes of fatalities for aid workers? What intrigued me was this, of course, was a subject that I had never thought of before, but in actually looking at Yellow Book, it enumerated causes of uh, injuries and deaths to aid workers. So can you go over some of those? Yes. Most, unfortunately, in the UN-related programs were due to intentional violence. And one-third of the deaths occurred in the first 90 days of service and 17% within the first 30 days. 
and the timing is unrelated to previous field experience. There's no learning curve. Uh, there's no time for a learning curve, I should say. As soon as one sets one's feet on the ground, one has to be ready for all the conditions that are present. So I think that's more of a political issue in terms of the judgment of the humanitarian organizations as to whether to send a worker into a area that's experiencing civil unrest. That's probably the only way you can reduce that statistic. Is that correct? Well, that is definitely an awareness. and That's what we talk about in the Yellow Book, is being aware of both the health needs and the security needs. For example, we have the website www.cdc.gov travel, where we post general information and specific information that's of use to people who are traveling for any purpose or for people who live abroad. And we always encourage people to look at the Department of State website, uh, which is also linked to on our website, for what are the security issues. Because even among travelers, leisure travelers, we do a lot to prepare for infectious diseases, but often the causes of problems that recur for people to be transported back early would be their underlying medical conditions or injuries and accidents. So that was actually my next question. What are some of the causes of injuries and fatalities unrelated to violence among international humanitarian aid workers? It's those same main reasons. It's either underlying issues or motor vehicle accidents, that sort of a trauma, unintentional trauma. Those are the other causes. So it's actually traumatic injury far, or their previous illness, not what they acquire in country. Those are the main reasons, yes. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Christy Reed, a nationally recognized expert on travel medicine. We are discussing travel for humanitarian work. What pre-travel steps can organizations take to help their volunteers and employees? As a matter of fact, I understand that the Peace Corps has a specific program in place to screen and help their uh, travelers before they leave the country. The individuals and organizations can both take steps. The organizations can look at where they're going to place the person. For example, we think of the Peace Corps typically as a college graduate, but that's changed dramatically in the last few years. They see a large number of people who are retired and have chosen to do this as an after-retirement career. They may have done the Peace Corps as the typical post-college and want to do it again, or just out of a spirit of the knowledge they've acquired can be of use, particularly in an area such as the former Iron Curtain countries, Eastern Europe, where they're developing economies. So the agency will look at the health of the person, and also one has to look at the psychological issues in terms of you putting this person alone or you putting them in a metropolitan area where there are support systems. So that's some things that the agencies can do. They also have preparatory for physical and also some training and organization. But if you're an individual and you think this is something that you want to do in your life, there are several things you should think of, which is your own health, having a good checkup. You would not want any underlying condition to cause a problem when you're traveling. You wouldn't want something as simple as a broken crown. So having a dental exam before is an appropriate thing. And then there's the typical pre-travel consult where you tailor the place that you're going to and the type of living quarters you will be in as to what recommendations then are specific for your health during the travel. Now, in looking over Yellow Book, Yellow Book actually gave a suggested list of things to pack for individual aid workers. 
Are there any items that stand out that a normal traveler would be a little bit less concerned about that stand out in the CDC's list of things to pack in general? Yes. We recommend a travel cap for any traveler, but what would stand out in someone going for humanitarian is they really have to be self-sufficient. Food and water is an important issue for any traveler, safe food, safe water, in order to prevent things like traveler's diarrhea. And in traveling for leisure or vacation, one can usually rely on a guaranteed source. If one's traveling to an area of humanitarian need, they may not have guaranteed food and water. They are preoccupied providing health services to the local population. So a person traveling for their medical kit, traveling for humanitarian, would want to be as self-sufficient as possible. Maybe take a first aid course and have the basics to provide for themselves if they have a minor cut or injury. But also thinking about their food and water needs. They would have to be thinking about guaranteeing a water supply and not being able to rely on commercial vendors necessarily being available. Well, I have a question that's related to that, and it may be a little bit naive or uh, literal-minded, but the question for you is when a humanitarian aid worker goes into like an earthquake region, Peru, for instance, and Yellow Book advises them to attend to their own food and water requirements, if they get put in this devastated area and they're trying to help out several hundred people that actually don't have any food or safe water, wouldn't the inclination of the humanitarian aid worker be to actually give away their own food and water because that's what many of these people need first? So I guess how can you ever assure enough food or water if you're going into these areas? And I admit it's a little bit naive, but there's my question. Well, it's a balance. If you're going with an organization, usually the organization has grappled with those issues, and that's one of the advantages of going with an organization. And just as when one is sitting on a plane and they say when the oxygen mask drops, make sure to put it on yourself and then help the other person, you have to balance. How much can you help other people if you aren't taking care to a certain extent of yourself? But that's also one of the real issues to think about when people's hearts are tugged by disasters around the world. What are the best ways they can help? Our thought is often, well, I'll rush right down there. But that may not actually be what's most helpful. So looking at the situation and talking to informed sources to understand what is needed. Sometimes it is people. Sometimes it's not. But all of those factors should be balanced. Now, in looking over the chapter on travel for humanitarian work, there was a lot of uh, discussion about violence and uh, motor vehicle accidents. And one of the questions that I had was even attention to uh, safety of air travel. For instance, the lethality of African air transport has been making the headlines lately, particularly as it seems to be a leading cause of humanitarian workers among UN personnel. Has that subject, in terms of air travel or the safety of the air carrier, come up in Yellow Book, or is that a little outside of the scope of the CDC's advice on travel? That's a little outside of the scope, but that does cross over. The issues that would cross over is our recommendation whenever one's traveling, and particularly when traveling in the developing world, is to recognize that the transportation system is different. The rules are different. The requirements are different. For example, we're used to climbing into a car and putting on a seatbelt. There may or may not be seatbelts. 
So there actually is some very good guidance for an individual considering, for example, trying to avoid traveling at night. And that's what often the international agencies also make those recommendations. And that may be why some of their rules sometimes seem a bit odd to the traveler. But they try to minimize the circumstances that would put people in risk. However, there are these situations that are unfortunate. I want to thank Dr. Christy Reed, a nationally recognized expert on travel medicine and one of the editors of Yellow Book, who has been our guest. We have been discussing travel for humanitarian work. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.